Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, hey, good evening and Merry Christmas. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. If this is your first time at Grace City, again, just welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us this evening. Thank you all for being here as we conclude our Advent series, which is just preparing us for Christmas morning. Now, let me say this. I know we've got some uh, kids in the room with us tonight, which is a little bit different than what we do on Sunday morning. So kids, if you are here, welcome. We're so glad that y'all are here with us. Uh, Parents, if you're wondering how long is Hederman going to (laughs) preach, I'm I'm shooting for 10-ish to 15-ish minutes. And so uh, that's the time that you've got there. And so, but let me say this too. Um, I, I love sometimes hearing kids in the service because that's the sound of life. And so while if I'm sitting in the pews, I'd be like trying to rein my kids in and, and I appreciate it if you're trying to do that. But at the same time, like don't think that that's a negative necessarily. Does that make sense? It's good. It's fun. It's all voices of our community. Now, that being said, uh, let me just transition into, into this. I think I've told you guys this before about me and the Christmas season, but one of my favorite uh, Christmas movies is Home Alone. <laughs> and uh, not, you know, so it's that type of intro to the sermon. Um, so, but it uh, was one, kind of a movie from my childhood, and now that my boys are growing up, like we all watch it together, and it's still funny. And, uh, but there's a scene in the movie where Kevin is trying to help himself be brave. You know, he walks out of the house, he's, he's yelling to the whole neighborhood, I'm not afraid anymore. Do you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore. And he keeps yelling it, you know, trying to, bol- uh, trying to give himself the courage. And then the whole punchline is he sees the scary man who's shoveling snow and he screams in his face and then yells all the way back inside, dives under the bed, pulls the covers over his head, and, and that's how, he, how he's trying to be brave. Well, we were watching that movie a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and that scene just stuck with me for some reason. And it was specifically just kind of how Kevin is trying to convince himself that he's not afraid anymore. Like, I, I see that, and I think, man, there are times in my life where I'm doing the same thing, where I'm trying to convince myself that I'm not afraid. I'm trying to convince myself that I'm brave. And I don't think I'm the only person who does that. I, I think we can all do this. Like, for instance, like, whether we realize it or not, we know just intuitively that, like, we cannot control how, what's going to happen to us in our life. Like, we can't control what's, how our life is going to go. And that's terrifying. And to combat those fears, maybe we lie to ourselves and say, yes, we can. And we try to bend life to our will. But in that, we're trying to control our lives. We're trying to be our own savior. And we're trying to, to just mitigate those fears. I've also kind of told this to you the past couple of weeks. Sometimes there can be seasons in my life where, where I, I just kind of live with this underlying shame. Like if April really knew me, if you guys really knew me, then I, then I wouldn't genuinely be loved. And so like to combat that fear, uh, there are times where, where I'll try to ease that shame. And, and, and I'll give into like religion, uh, not Jesus, but like the trappings of religion where I do stuff to be well thought of by other people. And, you know, or I'll, I'll like, um, or I'll, you know, try to help others. And all that's just to try to ease the sense of shame that I have. And it's trying to combat that fear. Maybe for you, it's not shame. Maybe, maybe for you, there's this, uh, you, you like to maybe use anger. Like anger gives you a sense of power uh, or a feeling of power. Like if you see something that's wrong, if you see something that's off, it's like, I'm going to get angry. I'm going to fix this. But then it's a weird cycle because we can see all these things that are off. And our anger rises even more because we just see how much is out of our control. And, and when these fears pop up, we have all these coping mechanisms for us. But all too often, we find ourselves being Kevin, and we're running back in the house, hiding under the bed and pulling the covers over our head. It was week two of our Advent series where we talked about the love that Christ brings in this world. And we looked at 1 John 4.18, where it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And I told you guys I couldn't get that phrase out of my head this holiday season. And I think that's actually one of the reasons why the Home Alone scene stuck, because that was on my mind and he's talking about being brave. But uh, it's a promise of Scripture that is just um, so... Uh, 
encouraging to me. I mean, that's not even the right word. It's just so hopeful to me that God does not want us to wrestle with this, right? That there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out our fear. And this is the hope of Jesus, right? We've talked about how he is Emmanuel, God with us, and God is love. So Jesus, when he came to this earth, Jesus is the embodiment of a perfect love that drives out our fears. And just having this on the forefront of my mind and then going back and reading the Christmas accounts, you can just see how page after page after page, God is sending us this word that we don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to be afraid anymore. You can hear it when the angels come to Joseph and they're like, you're going to be a dad, kind of, but Mary's having a child, but it's the son of God, but you don't be afraid. Take her as your wife. And then he talks to Mary, and then the angel goes to Mary and says, you're about to have the son of God, but don't be afraid. You found favor with God. And then in Luke chapter 2, the story of the Christmas account, the story of the Christmas account, the angels have this word for the shepherds when they are out tending their flocks in the fields. They tell them, don't be afraid. But this is the account that I want us to interact with tonight. As this is our last time, the Grace City family gathering together tonight, Matt kind of said this is the family gathering. I thought it fitting that we would read the Christmas account in Luke chapter 2. So go ahead and make your way there, and we're going to read this together. Luke chapter 2, verse 4, it'll also be on the screens. And we're going to read the whole of it. And just, I would say pretend like we're around a fire. I guess we are pretending, nice and warm. So Luke chapter 2, verse 4, here's the Christmas account. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and, he, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So when the angels come to the shepherds, like the first words out of their mouth are, don't be afraid. It's good news and great joy for all the people. It's don't be afraid. It's good news. And what's the good news? A Savior has been born. It's don't be afraid. A Savior has been born. Now, do the shepherds know everything that that message entails? Do they know what it means that a Savior has been born in that moment? Like, I would say no. I don't think they know all that that entails, but they do know that God is working. They know that God is moving on their behalf. They know that God is up to something, and he was their hope. He was their assurance. And so they don't have to be afraid because a Savior has 
been born. And if he's sent from God, then he is going to save us from our most pressing need. And oftentimes you and I can struggle with making the proper diagnosis on what's our most pressing need, right? We might think our most pressing need is the, is the job or the finance or the relationship or, or, or the influence or whatever. But God knows that our most pressing need is our sin, We've sinned against him. We've rebelled against his righteousness, and we are going to be held accountable for that sin. The issue is, is do we want to stand alone, or do we want to have a Savior with us? And the good news is we don't have to be afraid. A Savior is born. Jesus is with us. And he takes our punishment onto himself, and he secures for us righteousness before God and gives us the security of being in the family of God. And so with this act, Jesus is delivering us out of our fears and into the family of God. Don't be afraid. You don't have to save yourselves. Don't be afraid. You don't have to save yourself. Don't be afraid that you've sinned too much. Don't be afraid that you haven't done enough good. A Savior is born who's done the work that is required. Don't be afraid. A Savior is born. And by faith, you are rescued. Now, why would he do this? Why would he come to rescue and redeem? Because you are loved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do not be afraid. You are loved. Do not be afraid. You are loved. You don't have to carry shame. You don't have to walk with that. You don't have to carry the fear of being rejected. You don't have to carry the worry that that you're not going to be able to walk the line, that you're not going to be able to measure up. Do not be afraid. You are loved. And so when the shepherds are getting this word from from the angels, do not be afraid, a Savior is born, they know that that God is rescuing them. They know that God is working on their behalf. They know that God is loving them with this act. And so the shepherds, they hear this, and they believe in it, and they act on it, and they go and they see what's happened, and then they tell everyone what has happened. A Savior has been born. And with that, God puts them to work, and that they are the first people to share the good news of God's redemptive act and the birth of Jesus. Now, it seems in Luke chapter 2 that the shepherds just owned it. But if I'm those shepherds and I get that message and we're like trying to share the word, there's part of me that's thinking, did God really pick the right people to be the first messengers, right? I'm like, you know, maybe he should have reached out to somebody that had a little bit more influence, a little bit more power, a little bit more prestige because I'm just a shepherd, right? Like that, that they would carry those fears. But no, the angels... The angels give this message to them, and they are brought into this redeeming act that was unfolding by being messengers of that truth. And in so many ways, it's don't be afraid, you are called. Don't be afraid, you are called. The the shepherds, they were called to faith, and they were called to work. They were called to faith, and they were called to work. They, They were called to faith in that they heard this message, they believed in it, and they acted on it. They were called to faith. And truthfully, that's happening for some of you this Christmas season. You are being called to faith, and it's scary. And it is scary because when we're called to faith in that, in that time, you, you, you feel like you're, you're leaving behind this, this vision of, of the life that you have for you, and you're just saying yes to something that you're not sure everything that it entails, right? Or, or you, it's scary, too, because you're giving up the illusion of control in your life and giving it over to the Lord. And you're doing that with a limited knowledge and a limited understanding of who he is, the love that he has for you, and what he's done on your behalf. But here's the thing. 
I don't care if you've been to seminary like 20 different times and have 30 different PhDs, if you could make the math work. But, you know, it's somehow, some ways, like your knowledge of God is always going to be limited. You're, it's always going to be limited of who he is and what he's done. Why? Because he is God and you are not. So what that means then is somewhere along the way, there's got to be a step of faith. And it's scary. But don't be afraid. You are being called to take it. We are called to faith, and we are called to work as well. And maybe it's there where we see, maybe like the shepherd, we see our limits, we see our shortcomings, we see all the reasons why not, and our fears abound. But don't be afraid. You have been and are being called to join in and take up the redeeming work that Jesus has ushered in with his birth. Don't be afraid. You are called. So here's the deal. I don't have a clue what 2020 holds for you or for me. And to be honest, I am fearful that God keeps bringing this message to the forefront of my mind. I'm like, what are we going to face in 2020 that's going to make these fears come up? But when they do, I hope that I come back and bank on these, these truths that we've been seeing throughout the Christmas season. Don't be afraid. A Savior is born. I am rescued. I am loved. And I am called. And I pray you know the same is true for you. You don't have to go through life holding on to all these different fears. Don't be afraid. A Savior is born. And by faith, you can know his rescue, and you can know his love, and you can know his call in and on your life. And so I pray this Christmas season truly is a time where we celebrate what was good news and what was great joy for all the people. A Savior has been born, and his perfect love drives out our fears. It was on the night of his arrest, just before his crucifixion, where Jesus gives to the church the ordinance of communion. And it was on a night when just fear had to be in the air. I mean, it had to be palpable because the disciples, they're in Jerusalem with Jesus, and they know that there have been plots unfolding to come and to crucify Jesus and, and to murder him. And, and it's to that situation, it's to that tense time, it's to those fears where Jesus gives this practice of communion to the disciples. And he does it in such a way to help them be mindful of who he is and the love that he's had for them. And so as we wrap, as we bring this service to a conclusion, as we wrap up 2019 as a Grace City family, we'll once again end one of our services with the ordinance of communion. I say end. It's the end like a Southern Baptist preacher. It's not really the end. It'll be stuff after the service. But, but we'll, 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 we'll bring the end of the sermon, uh, end of the, I'm, I just should just set up communion. And so... But this is uh, an, an ordinance that Christ has given to the church. And again, it was, I mean, think of the, the context. They know the cross is around the corner. They know something tragic is about to happen. But Jesus brings them close, and he gives them the ordinance of communion. And so how we're going to observe this uh, this morning or this evening is I'm going to read from Luke 22, 19 through 20, when Jesus gives this ordinance to the disciples. And after I read this, I'll, I'll pray a prayer for us. And I would encourage you to pray silently where you are. You can confess your sin. You can express your gratitude to Christ. You can uh, express your gratitude to him for uh, how he's with us in our fears and his love drives out our fears. And then when you're ready and come forward, take the bread, dip in the juice and take a communion that way. Now what communion does is it calls us back to that place of sacrifice where uh, his perfect love was acting on our behalf. The bread represents his body. The cup and the juice represents his blood, both of which were given for us as he made the sacrifice on the cross where our sins were given to him 
and his righteousness was given in return, where on that, in that cross and on that moment, he was the savior that we needed, delivering us from our sin and delivering us into the family of God. And so when we come forward for communion, it's an outward expression of that inward faith. And so in a moment after we read the text and open this time, uh, we'd invite all those here who've placed their faith in Christ to come forward to take of the bread and dip of the juice and take of communion that way. If you're here and you've not made that profession of faith, uh, but maybe you're here with, with a guest or with a, or with a family member or something like that, you're more than welcome to walk forward with them and just watch and learn and see what's happening. Parents, I would say that would be a great thing to do with your, your kids who are here too. You can kind of teach what's happening in this ordinance. But if you will, let the act of taking the bread and dipping the juice, let that be for those that have made that profession of faith. And then as always, there'll be men and women down front that would love to pray with you, love to answer any questions that you might have about this gift of Jesus and the work that he has done on our behalf. So if you will, church, let's stand. I'll read the text and then you respond as God leans. Luke 22, 19 and 20. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Lord God, as we come to the table, we remember the sacrifice that you've made. And we remember that a savior was born and a savior died for us and conquered the grave and came back to life. And in that secured victory for us, victory and deliverance from our sin and secured for us a place in your family. And so God, help us to come observe this ordinance and do what you've commanded us to do. Remember who you are and remember the love that you have shown and let that love drive out the fears we carry. God, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray.